Googs House. All right, a thrilling victory over the weekend over Cincinnati. Big, big performance out of several guys. But Houston, we got a pro. His name's Jess Walker. Let's break it down. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, David Podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews. Today, I break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or to hit or can step by, please be sure to subscribe. That we get the latest on the Cougs each and every day in your inbox. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. And welcome back to the YouTube channel. Again, we're at 490 subscribers and recording this. We are approaching 500 fast. And we're doing a giveaway sparkless, so they're going to get involved in the giveaway as well once we get to 500. Uh, so help us along the way by hitting subscribe down below and then entering the contest to win the free swag uh, by commenting on the videos. If you cannot think of something to comment on, I was going to think of something food related to like normally these questions, but man, tell us your impression of Jarrett Walker's performance over the weekend. What draft, how about this? What draft pick do you think one through one? What pick do you think he's going to draft? I'm, I'm hedging in the top six to eight right now. If I'm looking at the board. All right. Um, first things first, I was this first segment is going to be a lot of oodling over the game that Jarrett Walker had. Um, Kid special had that kind of a game in that kind of a moment on national TV on Saturday. So we got to talk about that a little bit. Second segment, we're looking at some uh, caps off kind of moments going through both what uh, Samson and a couple players said after the game, and then just big performances to have as well. Third segment, like we normally do after a game, is kind of look around the league and look at what else is happening in college basketball and how it pertains to the Houston Cougars. But first and foremost in this first segment, we got to talk a little bit about Jarris and talk about just the kind of game he had. Now, admittedly, his stat line, I think, looked like the kind of thing we knew we were getting when we got a top, you know, top whatever recruit, five-star pick, et cetera. Different scouting services could have different things, but everyone had a consensus five-star coming at ING Academy. Um, big, big-time player. He had 25.7 rebounds on just 14 shots. Um, big, big performance out of the big freshman. Played 37 of the 40 minutes, too, so he stayed out of foul trouble with just one personal foul, um, which is notable for him on the year so far. But the deal to me was interesting in watching this game. Um, and admittedly, if you follow me on Twitter, yes, I did have to go back and watch the game after the fact. Again, Houston-born teacher and coach. I was coaching the live when it happened live. Um, Jarris takes over in the later part of the first half. And then in the second half, it's the Jarrett Walker show. Um, but there's a moment in that first around between like four to five minutes in where they start trying to feed him. And it's like, He's just not quite ready for it. The flow of the game hasn't caught up to him yet. He's still kind of warming up into it. Um, and like he has one drop off to Javier Francis, kind of goes through his hands. It's not, you know, maybe he should have made that shot. He goes up for a layup, gets fouled, does a dipsy do, flips up with his left hand, and almost goes in. Instead, he misses both free throws. Like those moments in the early part made you think, oh no, they're going to, to him for some reason and it's not working out. And the reason they're going to him is because he is a going to be a generational mismatch across the board wherever they play anyone. And B, the other piece of this too is that um, he was a mismatch at the end of the first game against Cincinnati, right? In the first game against Cincinnati,
especially when I spotted after the four-minute timeout that that was going to be the matchup for the majority of the first half for the Cincinnati Bearcats. That's how they wanted to try and defend it. And that was not the way that it was going to go for them uh, as the game would go on. But early, Cincinnati kind of changed their coverage, and Jarris ended up having a pretty strong showing anyway. Um, a few minutes in, uh, a few minutes after that initial push, um, under the 10-minute mark in the first half, that's when you really got to start seeing Jarrett Walker show off. Um, he has a, a sequence where he has like a floater, and then the next defensive possession, he tags the roller and recovers out to block the corner three, and then uh, the next series, next possession down, he gets a floater again. Like he has these kinds of series that's like, oh, he's the best player on the floor, right? And that pro scouts are watching, like, oh, that's the guy. Like, can we get those segments a couple times throughout a quarter in the NBA level? All of a sudden, he's an all-star, right? That's the kind of thing they're seeing. Like the the sequence I'm thinking of later was um, he has a block on off the backboard on defense. He comes down, they kick it to him in the wing. He drives in, absorbs the defense, kicks it to Shed for three. Shed misses his three, and Walker does it. You know, a volleyball style putback with both hands, I guess style putback. And it's like he's going to initiate the offense, get him a better shot. If it doesn't go in, he's got the follow. All those kinds of things are happening right after he just got the stop on defense with the block, like those back and forth sequences continue um, to, to like drive a draft stock because that's things that like you don't have guys in the NBA in large part, but certainly not at 19 that can do all of those things, especially not at six, nine to 40, right? Like, like he's just built differently and able to do them. Um, I'd say that I thought it was interesting that uh, they started running different sets to isolate him in the second half of the second half, like the last 10 minutes of the game. And very clearly he has spots. He favors where they're finding him on one side of the floor and running block to block screens or elevator type actions where he's the guy sending the screen initially and then pops out. And he can then become the one man offense with like spacers and then a drop off in the low block. Cause he's such a great passer. Um, so they'll put Juwan Roberts or Javier Francis or Reggie Cheney at the block opposite. And then they'll have shooters around the perimeter um, and that opens up space for him because they, people aren't hedging off of Emmanuel Sharp or Marcus Sasser, Tremont Mark, Jamal Shedd, Terrence Arsenal, whomever, right? They got too many shooting options that you can't just help off. And then the block-to-block screen makes him just open enough to catch the ball or the elevator screen where he pops out of it makes him just open enough to catch the ball. And once you got the ball in triple threat at that either 17-foot short corner area, it's not so short at that point, but or at the wing just outside the three-point line, defenses are kind of screwed because after he, he attacks and drives, we saw how well he dropped the ball off to Jawan, dropped the ball off to Javier, and the big men did finish some of those. Now, admittedly, could Javier have had a couple more points because if he had caught the ball a little bit different? Yeah. Could uh, Houston have knocked down some threes and gotten him more than two assists on the game? Yeah. But what ended up happening really is he got a lot of his 25 points off driving and attacking, and, and there's not really being an answer. Um, I think it's really fascinating to watch that growth because – there were moments early in the season where it felt like Jarris was forcing an isolation play because he knows he's the best athlete in the court. And it was kind of at spots where I don't know they'd run the same set, but I don't, they would run the same set. I knew that much, but I don't know that this call was necessarily to get him in an ISO because guys would continue to move and be looking for the ball in their spots. And he's trying to go one-on-one and that's when Samson pulling him out early in the season transit. Cause then on Saturday, they play in Cincinnati, and he's feeling it, and it's all about him, right? In the post game, Jarrett's commented before I get to Samson's comments in the post game. Um, 
his opening statement was it just honestly i've just felt like the, i just honestly i was just feeling good tonight ball was feeling good off my fingertips those kinds of games where he goes two for four from three you got to keep feeding him right um he also mentioned that he feels like it's kind of starting to all come together in terms of offense and defense and would follow up with i'm also feel like i'm letting the game come to me i would echo both of those and watch this game it felt like initially houston was asking to do something early one quite his moment the one to jamal shed eventually it came back to him and it was his moment and then it was so much his moment that cincinnati did all they could to take it out of his hands and jamal shed finished right like that's the way this game went uh houston won a big big one 75 to 69 after being down as many as 13 points in the second half right uh 13 points the first half was the largest first half deficit but man that was a big big stretch throughout the game um I, I could go on and on about Jarris, but I think the interesting and last thing I'll wrap up on Jarris before talking about Coach Sampson's comments after the game is that it's still like as we're recording this and as you're listening to this, January 30th, we got a whole month till March. Where does this thing go? Right? Like at some point, once they play together for another month, is he turning those two assists into more like six, seven assists? Right? Is he getting a 25, five, and five guy? in a 40-minute college game? Like, where does the ceiling on this thing really reside? I know he's going to pros. I know we get him for all of two more months, and then he's an alum as far as the basketball program is concerned, and I, I hope he wears it as proud as he wears Houston as proud as we are of him. But man, oh man, the thought that there's another month to develop the chemistry here on those assistant things is fascinating and so, so encouraging because the one hole you could poke into right now in his performance on Saturday was that like he almost threw NBA level passes to guys that aren't quite at the same level as him yet, or might not be like as close to NBA ready as he is yet. And they dropped it. Right. So like if, if they don't drop it, if that chemistry rolls, who stops the Jairus Walker train? I don't think many do. Kelvin Sampson, a very similar thing to say in the post game press conference, we're going to talk about that and some caps off type of performances. But first, we need to tell you about our buddies at FanDuel. Now, FanDuel is our newest betting partner here at Locked On. They're the number one sports book in America. If you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl uh, 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to the point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Talk about bets I like. I'm liking the Super Bowl itself. We got two weeks to bet on it. Um, listen, the line they've got right now is the Eagles by one and a half. I I think that comes down to more or less a pick them, right? I, one and a half versus one. It, it's more or less a pick them. And I am crazy impressed with what uh, Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes did on Sunday. I'm a big Pat Mahomes guy. I love watching him play football. The rest of the Mahomes is I could live without. But I love watching Pat Mahomes play football. And I, I really, I tweeted it during the game. I think he is a generation's Michael Jordan of football because he's changing the way we watch the game and watch and appreciate how it's played. However, Philadelphia looks really good. Jalen Hurts looks really good. And Kansas City is missing a lot of receiving talent. Now, I don't like the misnomer that Kansas City is missing their top three receivers because their top receiver is Travis Kelsey. And it's a lot of kind of the same after that. 
But however you slice it, they are missing two of their top four. And that feels like it's going to hurt at some point. And it feels like the Super Bowl might be that point, especially when you look at like the defensive line of Philadelphia and Patrick Mahomes and this high ankle sprain and what's that look like in a couple weeks. And I know it ought to be better than it was on Sunday, but what's it look like? And so anyway, I'm saying to take the Eagles as long as the line is less than two. Um, so I'm taking the Eagles right now. If the line gets moved over the course of the next two weeks with injury updates and stuff like that, we'll talk more. But for now, I'm saying take the Eagles. I'm saying take it at FanDuel.com. Use code Locked On when you're there. Make sure you go FanDuel.com slash Locked On for more. All right. So in the second segment, I said I want to talk a little bit about the post-game press conference stuff because Samson had a couple comments he had um, about players. So we'll talk about that and then players. And then at the end of the second segment, I'll talk about something he said about the league as a whole before we start talking about the league as a whole. So Samson opened with talking about how in the first half, they just felt like they needed to get to halftime to talk and regroup. And I think the way the game goes, if you look at like just the you know win percentage, if that's your statistic you like to look at over the course, or more, more importantly, just like the way the team was playing and flowing on the floor, that felt true, right? Cincinnati came out with their goal to stop Marcus Sasser. And to their credit, they did. Sasser finished with uh, just seven points. And frankly, uh, sorry, nine points. He had free throws at the end. And frankly, like he ends up being, as Coach Sampson accurately puts, a decoy for much of the game. Because once Cincinnati's dedicated themselves so much to that, what they start doing is turn Sasser into a passer. He only had four assists. I don't mean to say that like he was like driving dish kind of passer, but he becomes the point guard initiating offense and throwing hockey assists or entry passes or, or what have you in a way that they know the defense isn't coming off of him, right? Like the whole game plan is don't come off Sass. And so once that thing starts, it opens up so many things. I also liked one of my favorite stretches at the game where Houston used Sasser as a decoy was on the go-ahead bucket from uh, Jairus Walker that ended up becoming the last time Houston had to take the lead because they couldn't even ride it after that, right? Um, they run a double elevator screen with uh, – to get uh, Jamal Shedd popped up and then Sasser pops out and they get the ball to Sasser real fast. And then they run um, a little dribble, a little screen roll with uh, Shedd and Walker, whatever, right next to Sasser after, after a handoff from Sasser back to Shedd. And what I'm getting at is they get Shedd to then dive down off the screen and roll. I'm sorry. Shedd dives down on the screen and roll and like uh, Walker has floated one way and he's got, Jawan Roberts to the opposite block, right? And so suddenly he's got a open kick to Roberts because the guy that was guarding Roberts, Lakin, had to step up to cover Shed, right? And then as that guy steps up, there's no one to left to cover Roberts because the normal guy tagging the roller because of the way the offense orchestra in the court, and I'm not doing a very good job verbally analyzing this, analyzing this. It happens at about the you know 47 seconds mark. No, this was a little early. That was like you know the minute and 48 seconds mark. Um, he drops it off to, to Roberts because the guy that's supposed to tag the role is covering Marcus Sasser. And even though Sasser only has seven points at that point, doesn't matter. He's not going to leave him because Sasser's that kind of deadly. And so it opens up a, a big time dunk out of Jer- uh, Jawan Roberts on a nice little pick and roll play. Easy, easy drop off because no one's there. No one's there. It's functionally an empty side pick and roll with a lot more space on the front side because there's less players, but it's still an empty side on the back side because Sasha's guy's not coming off. Um, 
anyway, I, I, I love the way they used him as a decoy throughout the game. I thought it was interesting to hear Samson echo as much because if you're listening to that press conference and you're someone else in the American Athletic Conference, you realize, oh, that's that's not a way we can beat these guys. They know what to do when we do that. Um, the other thing I think is interesting here is that he gave hats off, so first hat off to Emmanuel Sharp and second hat off to Terrence Arsenal uh, for the way that they played in the game in their spot minutes. Um, Emmanuel Sharp played 24 minutes. So when he said spot minutes, I kind of thought that was being a little facetious. But both Emmanuel and Terrence have grown so much defensively. Terrence Arsenal's length really, really drove the Cincinnati uh, point guard to Julius, really drove him crazy because, bluntly, Arsenal is three inches taller with a positive wingspan that's all up in his space. And he didn't get a whole lot of deflections himself. But he was in the way of a lot of passing lanes and vision that really, really kind of forced uh, DeJulius into some awkward spots. And he did end up with two steals, right? Frankly, had he made the three, there's one play earlier where Walker does a volleyball tap out to him on a pass. Like they throw, try and throw the lob to Walker. It's not quite there. And he tips it out like a volleyball to Arsenal for three. Had he made that, he probably has a perfect game as far as Arsenal scoring is concerned. As over one from the three-point line, he made a layup at one point as well. Um, Emmanuel Sharp has never seen a shot he doesn't like. He went one for five from three, but every single time he shot it, it felt like a moment. Uh, Samson had said as much. Um, he said, um, truthfully, that they held down the fort, both Arsenal and Sharp. Um, and two weekends in a row, Emmanuel has a chance to get us to use some separation where the ball go, got way down and popped out, way down in there. Talking about how it like, spins out and pops out. Um, interesting stuff to hear from Samson because he's seeing it as well. Um, as far as the caps off goes, we always like obviously we're going to give one big caps off to Walker. Um, we talked about him, Agnosium, but again, the game of his life. And he had a great game at Cincinnati the first time. He had a couple of these big ones um, as a play creator. He had one against Virginia. But I think there's more in store for him throughout the season as well. Um, Jamal Shedd had a big one. Jamal Shedd obviously gets his own cap off as well. Um, Jamal Shedd, to be fair, um, <laughs> he had he had his normal like you know 13 points and five assists. And it's starting to look like kind of the normal stat line for him. But the spots he had them in were so, so important for the Houston Cougars. Um, and I think the other thing that's important to remember is that, like, that step back he hit to ice to take the lead at the end uh, under a minute left, and it's perfectly timed, right? Um, it's 48 seconds, so you know that even if Cincinnati hits a shot, you get the ball back because of the shot clock. Um, it's at the end of Houston's shot clock, so they took as much time as they could before shooting it. That was a difficult step back like we've kind of grown, grown accustomed to Marcus Sasser hitting those uh, Quinn Grimes wasn't quite the step back guy when he came through Houston Amarni Brooks is obviously the shooter that can hit like the shot at that at that point anyway I mean you talk about Houston guards that's a difficult step back to be step ball in your left hand right shoulder in the defender be stepping back at the left wing and not even I mean create he created separation but the other guy's a lot taller and longer so it got kind of eaten up quickly then then go vertical and not fade away. Great right-handed jump shot means you have to pull the ball back to your right hand and put it like, that's a difficult thing to do. And he had to do it all perfectly to take the lead. And he did. Um, I could also point to the assist I mentioned earlier where they dropped it off to Roberts. A couple different big type plays 
big time assists and big time plays, I should say, out of him. So obviously caps off there. Last caps off is going to go to Jawan Roberts. Um, Jawan Roberts finished with 14 points, but it's the second game of, uh, I mean, I guess I could really like, like the fourth game of the last eight where things go through Roberts early. The way that Houston kind of feels themselves out in a basketball game is clearly we're going to attack you with Jawan Roberts and see what you do to the post, the first four or five possessions. And bluntly, Roberts has given up, what, four or five inches, four inches to Victor Lakin, and he took it right to him, put it, got the ball in the block of a simple horn set that led to a box drop, got him off in the block, and then he just put his right shoulder against his chest, flipped to his left hand twice in the first minute and a half, and continued to attack him as much as he needed like throughout the game. Finished with 14.6 rebounds. Um, and honestly, I don't know that that quite tells the story of his dominance because he also had a couple big blocks and his dunks were the kind of dunks that took the lid off the Vertita Center. So going big time caps off moments to him as well. Now, I have to say that before we talk about the entire NCAA, there's one comment from Coach Sampson that I think is intriguing because I kind of got into the same argument with somebody on Twitter over the weekend. Um, the quote goes and i pulled up the thing and i wrote exactly as he said it there are good teams there's such ignorant there's such an ignorant narrative going around about our conference and how it's not that good that's the most ignorant thing i've ever heard that tells you how most people don't know what they don't know he would then go on to list the teams and how good some of them are and points out how there are several you know good teams that are good coaches and things like that. He points out he has coached himself in other good leagues, obviously coached the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 for the, a long stretch of time. Um, and, like, ad- admits he knows what he's looking at. He says a good league. And then, I thought, interestingly enough, he sat on the Temple game for a little bit because Temple beat Houston, and kind of na- that kind of started the national discussion about, well, Houston and the American, and da 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 And he points out, like, did Temple lose some early games? Yeah. Temple also beat Rutgers, and Rutgers also beat Purdue. Like, these things happen. These teams are not bad. These are good teams. And I would follow it one step further and say, like, I think UCF is a talented team. Obviously, they have Taylor Hendricks, and he's a pro. I would say, anytime you play Landers Nolly, and he's hitting 6-10 from 3 with hands in his face, not a lot of that's a really, really good basketball team. And Houston beat them in Cincinnati as well over the weekend, right? Um, I, I continue to think that, SMU's got more in the tank. I, I, I see their score. I'm like, why, why are they losing? I mean, they are. And Memphis is Memphis. They got two of the best scoring guards in America. This is a good conference. Stop talking about it like it's not. Um, before we get into looking around the conference and everything else around the country, we're going to take a little break. All right. So as we look at the uh, rest of the American Athletic Conference and their scores from the weekend and kind of what that does for Houston, we're also going to look at national stuff and look at like what the national scoreboard does for Houston because it was a big weekend in basketball. Um, first, Houston had the only American Athletic Conference, or these one of two American Athletic Conference boys basketball games on Saturday. The other, Temple, runs away from UCF in overtime. So it was obviously a tight game they're into regulation, but Temple followed Khalif Battles thir- 26 points and uh, Ethiel. Horton's 13 uh, uh, points for UCF were not enough. Um, but Temple ends up outscoring UCF by seven in overtime to win 77 to 70. That's a tight game. Also worth mentioning, the same Temple with a true pro ends up being a team that falls to Temple. Like, like I can't, I, 
I can't reiterate this enough. Like UCF is a good basketball team. Temple beat them as well, right? Went for a fight of our life when we play them next weekend. We play Temple again next Sunday. It ought to be a fun one. It's in Philly. I have to imagine there's some like stuff in the tank, the bulletin board material for Houston going into that one. On Sunday, there were a trio of American Athletic Conference games. Wichita State did beat East Carolina by 13 points. Both those teams are having a rough year this season. Um, Houston plays Wichita on Thursday. Um, you know, and admittedly, are they the most competitive team in the conference right now? No. Does Houston have a giant bullseye on their back? Absolutely. <laughs> so I, I would imagine, especially the way the last year's game ended with the big Ramon Walker dive on the floor for the steal or the rebound slash deal at the end of the game. Like, I imagine there's some resentment there. I'd, I'd imagine that's a tough contest for sure. Um, after that one, you had South Florida beat uh, South Florida lost to SMU by two points. Um, and, you know, South Florida gave Houston problems where SMU didn't. And I think that second game against SMU up in Dallas is going to be a tight one. Um, I I just feel like it's going to be a very, very tight game because SMU has this competitive thing where they're looking at Houston and I think a little jealous of Houston going to the Big 12 and they're not. Um, there's obviously the I-45 rivalry aspect, the whole thing. I don't mean to say that that's not a part of it too, but there certainly seems to be something extra in the air following the um, announcement that Houston's going to the Big 12 um, and that SMU didn't get that announcement. And so I, I'd imagine that, you know, as we continue to see them in a couple weeks, I think it's like mid-February, the second contest is, that's going to be a tough one. Um, Memphis beat Tulsa by just 12, which is interesting because I thought when Houston played Tulsa earlier, they had some pieces, but didn't quite know what they were doing. And it seems like, based on the score there, that they might have started to put things together because Memphis is a really good team, and Tulsa kept it at just 12 points. I think that's worth pointing out. Obviously, both of Memphis's guards had really big days scoring the basketball. Um, that's going to be a tough matchup for Houston. You'll see the best defensive games, hopefully, out of Shed and Sasser in both the home and road splits with Memphis. That is all to say that um, Houston's got a tough week ahead with Wichita State on Thursday and at Temple over the weekend. Um, they got a couple days off after having so many games in a row. They have they don't play again until Thursday night, and so they got you know hopefully a little bit of rest on Sunday, Monday, and kind of start getting their body back in juice for the second half of the conference slate. Um, in the national picture, and I talk about this because Houston is ranked number three in the country right now. And Samson alluded to it; they're paying attention enough to it to know what happened. Alabama, number two team in the country, got crushed over the weekend by Oklahoma. Um. 93 to 69. And I think it's worth pointing out there because Alabama A is kind of riding their Houston win to the number two team in the country. And B, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Brandon Miller and Houston held him without a fugal, right? Like, th- like I think that that's kind of a comeback down to earth moment for Alabama. But also, if you're looking at like where Houston could get seated in the tournament, there's a real chance that Oklahoma would be in the same region if Oklahoma makes the tournament. Um, and it looks like with that one from Alabama on their schedule, they, they probably do if they have a decent Big 12 slate. You know, um, they'd probably be in the same region. So maybe since I have to go watch there. Um, Kansas State lost earlier in the week. They're the number five team in the country. Um, the number four team in the country, Tennessee, did win. And doing so, they knocked off the number 10, uh, the number 10 team in the country, UT Austin. Um, Arizona continues to roll a little bit in the Pac-12. So interesting things to watch there. Um Arizona beat Washington by, you know, 23 or no, yeah, 23 points. I'm, you know, math's not my thing. Um, but Arizona also earlier in the Pac-12 slate lost to Oregon. So while I'm impressed by what I see of late from Arizona, I'm 
also like cognizant of like, okay, but Houston beat Oregon. So we do match up, you know, the size and the speed and the this and the that. Um, Virginia, who Houston beat on the season, is number seven in the country right now. They beat Boston College. Kansas, while they've lost three in a row, including earlier this week, did beat Kentucky. Another big one for Houston, another big pair for Houston, I should say, is that Mississippi State beat TCU in overtime and Missouri beat Iowa State. That's two more uh, top 12 teams falling in the SEC Big 12 Challenge and a number of interesting results in that challenge. Um, West Virginia beating Auburn, for example, is one I did not see coming. Um, Arkansas beating Baylor, I probably would have seen coming early in the season, but not lately. And then, I, Anyway, um, some interesting matchups in that is looking at like future Big 12 play and also other teams in the top 20 and top 25. Um, St. Mary's continues to roll. That win from early in the season looks really, really good. They beat BYU over the weekend. Um, Pittsburgh beats Miami. That's an interesting ACC matchup. It kind of looks like Virginia and then everybody else in the ACC, which has to make you feel good because Virginia is the team you beat earlier in the season. Um, across the board, though, um, a lot less happening in the college basketball on Sunday. Purdue beat Michigan State, so they'll probably still be number one when the AP poll comes out. With the Alabama laws, it'll be interesting to see if Tennessee leapfrogs Houston to two, or if Houston moves up to two and Tennessee moves up to three, I'm not quite sure which I would rather happen, but I honestly don't care. As you and I have talked about before, I'd kind of rather Houston be focused on being the number one team in April when this whole thing's said and done uh, and we're holding up trophies at Energy Stadium than worry about it right now. I am concerned about what uh, region they get seated in and what seed they get because we've seen Houston be a top analytical team across the entire spectrum, net, Ken Palm, et cetera, and get a five seed before. Um, with the AP voting, I kind of feel more comfortable with getting a one or a two seed. I just want to make sure we hold on to that because that path could be in matchup based. Things could be really, really important come March. And admittedly, um, there's some matchups that are hard. Uh, you know, Zach Eady and Purdue will be difficult because he's a giant and we, we line up at like six, nine. Now I think we got advantages at other four spots. And I think Juwan Roberts is as well suited as any other six, nine America to guard Zach Eady in that particular matchup, but it is difficult to do, right? Um, we got some big freshmen coming in, whether it's Jojo Tugler, uh, Jojo Tugler or, um, said Lath or whoever you want to talk about, uh, McFarland, right? Was it McDonald's American finalist? Um, we have, we have some guys coming in next year. Don't quite have it right now. So we're going to talk about all those things leading up to the game this Thursday. And then obviously the Temple game, big one over the weekend. All week long, you can find me on Twitter at Paintsworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512. All things Cougs, football, basketball, whatever. Uh, this week we'll also do some different recruit talk, I promise. I know I talked about some last week and then some stuff popped up. And we're talking about a lot more basketball. But football recruiting is big right now. Signing day is coming up. And we got we got to talk about how Houston's finished off the work in the transfer portal. The roster's looking good. We also just got a new offensive line coach, and so as we speak, like the next thing I'm going to go do is go watch some more Tulane film to look at like what that looks like. So those breakdowns will be later this week. Hoping to get some more recruit talk on throughout the week because obviously signing day is a big big day in that news cycle. We're going to have to preview Wichita State and how what that game goes. And then we'll also need to preview Temple and talk about how we can change our fortunes from the first meeting all week long here at Locked on Cougs. Thank you so much for making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. If you're looking for a second listen, I'm going to recommend Locked on College Basketball. Locked on College Basketball is a Coug-friendly podcast that likes the Cougs 
and live talking all things college hoops. So if you enjoyed this college hoops discussion, make sure you go check them out for your next one. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Locked on Cougs, the primary Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Go Cougs.